Chapter 9, Part 2 of The Holiday Round by A. A. Milne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9, Part 2 A Few Friends. Betty, the hotel child. I was in the lounge when I made her acquaintance, enjoying a pipe after tea, and perhaps, I don't know, closing my eyes now and then. "'Would you like to see my shells?' she asked suddenly. I woke up and looked at her. She was about seven years old, pretty, dark, and very much at ease. "'I should love it,' I said. She produced a large paper bag from somewhere and poured the contents in front of me. "'I've got two hundred and fifty-eight, she announced. "'So I see,' I said. "'I wasn't going to count them. "'I think they're very pretty. "'I'll give you one, if you like. "'Which one will you choose?' "'I sat up and examined them carefully. "'Seeing how short a time we had known each other, "'I didn't feel that I could take one of the good ones. "'After a little thought, I chose quite a plain one, "'which had belonged to a winkle some weeks ago.' "'Thank you very much,' I said. "'I don't think you choose shells at all well,' she said scornfully. "'That's one of the ugly ones.' "'It will grow on me,' I explained. "'In a year or two I shall think it beautiful.' "'I'll let you have this one, too,' she said, picking out the best. "'Now shall we play at something?' I had been playing at something all day. A little thinking in front of the fire was my present program. Let's talk instead, I suggested. What's your name? Betty. I knew it was Betty. You look just like a Betty. What's yours? Somehow I hadn't expected that. After all, though, it was only fair. Orlando, I said. "'What a funny name! I don't like it.' "'You should have said so before. It's too late now. "'What have you been doing all day?' "'Playing on the sands. What have you been doing?' "'I've been playing in the sand, too. "'I suppose, Betty, you know nearly everybody in the hotel?' "'Oh, I play with them all sometimes.' "'Yes, then tell me, Betty.' "'Do you ever get asked what time you go to bed?' "'They all ask me that,' said Betty promptly. "'I think I should like to ask you, too,' I said, "'just to be in the movement. When is it?' "'Half past six. she looked at the clock. "'So we've got half an hour. I'll get my ball.' Before I had time to do anything about it, the ball came bouncing in, hit me on the side of the head, and hurried off to hide itself under an old lady dozing in the corner. Betty followed more sedately. "'Where's my ball?' she asked. "'Has it come in?' I said in surprise. "'Then it must have gone out again. It noticed you weren't here.' "'I believe you've got it. I swear I haven't, Betty.' I think the lady in the corner knows something about it. 
Betty rushed across to her and began to crawl under her chair. I nervously rehearsed a few sentences to myself. "'It is not my child, madam. I found it here. Surely you can see that there is no likeness between us. If we keep quite still, perhaps it will go away.' "'I've got it!' cried Betty, and the old lady woke up with a jerk. "'What are you doing, child?' she said crossly. "'Your little girl, madam,' I began. But Betty's ball hit me on the head again before I could develop my theme. "'Your little girl, sir,' began the old lady at the same moment. "'I said it first. I murmured. "'Betty,' I went on aloud, "'what is your name, my child?' "'You've just said it.' "'I mean,' I corrected myself quickly, "'where do you live?' "'Kensington.' I looked triumphantly at the old lady. Surely a father wouldn't need to ask his own child where she lived. However, the old lady was asleep again. I turned to Betty. "'We shall have to play this game more quietly,' I said. "'In fact, we had better make some new rules.' Instead of hitting me on the head each time, you can roll the ball gently along the floor to me, and I shall roll it gently back to you, and the one who misses it first goes to bed. I gave her an easy one to start with, wishing to work up naturally to the denouement, and she gave me a very difficult one back, not quite understanding the object of the game. "'You've got to go to bed,' she cried, clapping her hands. "'You've got to, to go to bed. "'You've got to go to bed. "'You've... "'All right,' I said coldly. "'Don't make a song about it.' "'It was ten minutes past six. "'I generally go to bed at eleven-thirty. "'It would be the longest night I had had for years.' I sighed and prepared to go. "'You needn't go till half-past,' said Betty kindly. "'No, no,' I said firmly. "'Rules are rules.' I had just remembered that there was nothing in the rules about not getting up again. "'Then I'll come with you and see your room.' "'No, you mustn't do that. You'd fall out of the window. It's a very tricky window.' I'm always falling out of it myself. Then let's go on playing here, and we won't go to bed if we miss. Very well, I agreed. Really, there was nothing else for it. Robbed of its chief interest, the game proved, after ten minutes or so, to be one of the duller ones. Whatever people say, I don't think it compares with cricket, for instance. It is certainly not so subtle as golf. "'I like playing this game,' said Betty. "'Don't you?' "'I think I shall get to love it,' I said, looking at the clock. There were still five minutes, and I rolled down a very fast googly, which beat her entirely and went straight for the door. Under the old rules, she would have gone to bed at once. Alas, that... "'Look out,' I said, as she went after it. "'There's somebody coming in.' Somebody came in. She smiled ruefully at us, and then took Betty's hand. 
"'I'm afraid my little girl has been worrying you,' she said prettily. "'I knew you'd say that,' said Betty. Cinderella, being an extract from her diary, picked up behind the scenes. Tuesday. Sometimes I think I am a very lucky girl, having two big sisters to look after me. I expect there are lots of young girls who have nobody at all, and I think they must be so lonely. There is always plenty of fun going on in our house. Yesterday I heard Sister Fred telling Sister Bert something about her old man coming home very late one night. I didn't quite understand who the old man was or what it was all about, but I know Sister Bert thought it was very funny, and I seemed to hear a lot of people laughing. Perhaps it was the fairies. And then whenever Sister Bert sits down, she always pulls her skirt right up to her knees, so as people can see her stockings. I mean, there's always something amusing happening. Of course, I have a good deal of work to do, and all the washing up, but my sisters are so big and strong that one can't expect them to bother themselves with niggling little things like that. Besides, they have so many other things to do. Only this morning, when Sister Birch was going to sit down, Sister Fred pulled away her chair, and she sat on the floor, and her legs went up in the air. She said it was a grand slam, which some of us thought very funny. I didn't laugh myself, because I never go out anywhere, and so I don't understand topical remarks. But I do think it is nice to live in such an amusing house. Later. A wonderful thing has happened. Two messengers came from the prince an hour ago to invite us to the ball tonight. I'd never seen a messenger in my life, so I peeped out of the chimney corner at them and wondered if they would stay to tea. But instead of that, my sisters put up what they call a trapeze. I never knew we had one before. And the messengers did some extraordinary things on it. I thought they would kill themselves. After it was over, Sister Fred told them a lot of stories about the old man, and altogether it was quite different from what I expected. Ours is a funny house. As soon as the messengers had gone, my sisters began to get ready for the ball. I knew I shouldn't be able to go, because I haven't got a frock and I simply couldn't wear anything of theirs. They are so much bigger than I am. They finished dressing downstairs, for some reason, where anybody might have seen them. They are so funny about things like that. And we had a lot of laughter about the clothes being too tight, and so on. I think anything like that is so amusing. Then they went off, and here I am all alone. It is getting dark, and so I am going to cheer myself up by singing a little. Later. I am going to the ball. My fairy godmother, whom I had often heard about, suddenly came to see us. I told her my sisters were out, 
and she asked where they had gone, and wouldn't I like to go too? So, of course, I said I should love it. So I am going, and she has got a frock for me and everything. She is very kind, but not quite so fairy-like as I expected. Wednesday. I have had a lovely time, and I think I am in love. I got to the ball just as the juggling and the ventriloquism were over. It must be a delightful court to live in, and there was such a sensation as I appeared. The prince singled me out at once. He has the pinkest cheeks and the reddest lips of any man I know, and his voice is soft and gentle, and, oh, I love him. One wants a man to be manly and a woman to be womanly, and I don't think I should love a man if he were at all like Sister Fred or Sister Bert. The prince is quite different. We were alone most of the time, and we sang several songs together. My sisters never recognized me. It was most surprising. I heard Sister Fred telling a very fine-looking gentleman a story about a lodger, whatever that is, who had a bit of a head. It sounded very humorous. Wherever Sister Fred goes, there is sure to be fun. I am indeed a lucky girl to have two such sisters, and to be in love with a prince. Sister Bert sat down on the floor twice. It was most amusing. A terrible thing happened just as the clock struck twelve. All my clothes turned into rags, and I just ran out of the room. I was so frightened. Then I remembered what my fairy godmother had said about leaving before twelve o'clock. I suppose she knew what would happen if I didn't. I'm afraid I left a glass slipper behind. I hope she won't mind about it. Well, I've had a lovely time. Even if I never see the prince again, I shall always have this to look back to. I don't mind what happens now. Thursday. I am going to marry the prince. I can't believe it is true. Perhaps it is only a dream, and I shall wake up soon. But even if it's a dream, it's just as good as if it were real. It was all because of the slipper I left behind. The prince said that he would marry the person whom it fitted, because he had fallen in love with the lady who wore it at the ball. Me! And so everybody tried it on, and they came to our house, and Sister Bert tried it on. She pulled up her skirt up to her knees and made everybody laugh but even then she couldn't get into it. And Sister Fred made a lot of faces, but she couldn't. So I said, let me try. And they all laughed, but the prince said I should, and of course it fitted at once. Then they all recognized me, and the prince kissed me, and a whole lot of people came into the house who had never been invited. And we had the trapeze out again, there was a juggling, and there was ventriloquism, and we all sang songs about somebody called Flanagan, whom I don't think I've ever met, and Sister Bert kept sitting down suddenly on the floor. 
but the prince didn't think that this was funny so i expect i must have been right all the time when i have only pretended to laugh i used to think that perhaps i hadn't a sense of humour and then the prince kissed me again and my fairy godmother came in and kissed us both and of course we do owe it all to her really and i shall tell charming so i do think i am a wonderful person father christmas outside in the street the rain fell pitilessly but inside the children's shop all was warmth and brightness happy young people of all ages pressed along and i had no sooner opened the door than i was received into the eager stream of shoppers and hurried away to fairyland a slight block at one quarter pitched me into an old white-bearded gentleman who was standing next to me instantly my hat was in my hand i beg your pardon i said with a low bow i was oh i'm sorry i thought you were real i straightened him up looked at his price and wondered whether i should buy him what do you mean by real he said i started violently and took my hat off again i am very stupid this morning i began the fact is i mistook you for a toy a foolish error i am a toy in that case i said in some annoyance i can't stay here arguing with you good morning and i took my hat off for the third time don't go stop and buy me you'll never get what you want if you don't take me with you i've been in this place for years and i know exactly where everything is besides as i shall have to give away all your presents for you it's only fair that an attendant came up and looked at me inquiringly how much is this thing i said and jerked a thumb at it the father christmas yes i think i'll have it i'll take it with me you needn't wrap it up i handed over some money and we pushed on together you heard what i called you i said to him a thing so don't go putting yourself forward he gazed up innocently from under my arm what shall we get first he asked i want the engine room the locomotive in the home the boy's own railroad track that's downstairs but did you really think of an engine i mean isn't it rather large and heavy why not get a i smacked his head and we went downstairs it was a delightful room i was introduced to practically the whole of the great western railway's rolling stock engine three carriages and a guardsman that's right then i shall want some rails of course shut up will you i said angrily when the attendant was out of hearing it's the extra weight he sighed the reindeer don't like it and these modern chimneys you've no idea what a squeeze it is however those are very jolly i said when i examined the rails 
I shall want about a mile of them. Three pence halfpenny a foot, then I shan't want nearly a mile. I got about thirty feet, and then turned to switches and signals and lamps and things. I bought a lot of those. You never know what emergency might not arise on the nursery floor, and if anything happened for want of a switch or two, I should never forgive myself. Just as we were going away, I caught sight of the jolliest little clockwork torpedo boat. I stopped, irresolute. Don't be silly, said the voice under my arm. You'll never be asked to the house again if you give that. Why not? Wait till the children have fallen into the bath once or twice with all their clothes on, and then ask the mother why not. I see, I said stiffly, and we went upstairs. The next thing we want is bricks. Bricks, said Father Christmas uneasily, bricks. Yes, there's bricks. Have you ever thought of one of those nice little woolly rabbits? Where do we get bricks? Bricks. You know, I don't think mothers are as fond as all that of bricks. I got the mother's present yesterday, thanks very much. This is for one of the children. They showed me bricks, and they showed me pictures of what the bricks would build. Palaces, simply palaces. Gone was the balbus wall of our youth. Gone was the fort with its arrow holes for the archers. Nothing now but temples and Moorish palaces. Jove, I should love that, I said. I mean, he would love that. Do you want much land for a house of that size? I know of a site on the nursery floor, but... Well, of course, we could always have an iron building outside in the passage for the billiard table. We paid and moved off again. What are you mumbling about now? I asked. I said you'll only make the boy discontented with his present home if you teach him to build nothing but castles and ruined abbeys and things, and you will run to bulk. Half of those bricks would have made a very nice present for anybody. Yes, and when royalty comes on a visit, where would you put them? They'd have to pig it in the box room. If we're going to have a palace, let's have a good one. Very well. What do your children hang up? Stockings or pillowcases? We went downstairs again. Having provided for the engineer and the architect, I said, we now have to consider the gentleman in the dairy business. I want a milk cart. You want a milk cart. You want a milk cart. You want a... Why not have a brewer's dray? Why not have something really heavy? The reindeer wouldn't mind. They've been out every day this week, but they'd love it. What about a nice skating rink? What about... I put him head downwards in my pocket and approached an official. Do you keep milk carts? I said diffidently. He screwed up his face and thought. I could get you one, he said. I don't want you to build one, specially for me. 
If they aren't made, I expect it's because mothers don't like them. It was just an idea of mine. Oh, yes, they're made. I can show you a picture of one in our catalogue. He showed it to me. It was about the size of a perambulator and contained every kind of can. I simply had to let Father Christmas see. Look at that, I exclaimed in delight. Good Lord, he said, and dived into the pocket again. I held him there tightly and finished my business with the official. Father Christmas has never spoken since. Sometimes I wonder if he ever spoke at all, for one imagines strange things in the children's shop. He stands now on my writing table and observes me with the friendly smile which has been so fixed a feature of his since I brought him home. Miss Middleton Taking a Call "'May I come in?' said Miss Middleton. I looked up from my book and stared at her in amazement. Hallo, I said. Hallo, said Miss Middleton, doubtfully. "'Are you going to have tea with me?' "'That's what I was wondering all the way up. "'It's all ready, in fact. I've nearly finished. "'There's a cake today, too.' Miss Middleton hesitated at the door and looked wistfully at me. "'I suppose, I suppose,' she said timidly, "'you think I ought to have brought somebody with me?' "'In a way, I'm just as glad you didn't. "'I've heaps of chaperones outside on the stairs, you know. "'There's no place like outside for chaperones. "'And the liftman believes I'm your aunt. "'At least perhaps he doesn't, but I mentioned it to him.' I looked at her, and then I smiled, and then I laughed. "'So that's all right,' she said breathlessly. "'And I want my tea.' She came in and began to arrange her hat in front of the glass. "'Tea,' I said, going to the cupboard. "'I suppose you'll want a cup to yourself. "'There you are. Don't lose it. Milk, sugar.' Miss Middleton took a large piece of cake. "'What were you studying so earnestly when I came in?' she asked, and she munched. "'A dictionary. "'But how lucky I came, because I can spell simply everything. "'What is it you want to know?' "'I don't want to know how to spell anything, thank you, "'but I believe you can help me all the same.' "'Miss Middleton sat down and drank her tea. "'I love helping,' she said. "'Well, it's this. I've just been asked to be a godfather.' Miss Middleton stood up suddenly. "'Do I salute?' she asks. "'You sit down and go on eating. The difficulty is what to call it. "'Oh, do godfathers provide the names?' "'I think so. It is what they are there for, I fancy. "'That is about all there is in it, I believe.' "'And can't you find anything in the dictionary?' "'Well, I don't think the dictionary is helping as much as I expected. "'It only muddles me. "'Did you know that Algernon meant with whiskers? "'I'm not thinking of calling it Algernon, "'but that's the sort of thing they spring on you.' 
"'But I hate Algernon anyhow. "'Why not choose quite a simple name? "'Had you thought of John, for instance?' "'No, I hadn't thought of John, somehow. "'Or Gerald?' "'Gerald I like very much.' "'What about Dick?' she went on eagerly. "'Yes, Dick is quite jolly. "'By the way, did I tell you it was a girl?' "'Miss Middleton rose with dignity. "'For your slice of plum-cake and your small cup of tea, I thank you,' she said. "'And I am now going straight home to mother.' "'Not yet,' I pleaded. "'I'll just ask you one question before I go. "'Where do you keep the biscuits?' She found the biscuits, and sat down again. "'A girl's name,' I said, encouragingly. "'Yes. Well, is she fair or dark?' "'She's very small at present. What there is of her is dark, I believe.' "'Well, there are millions of names for dark girls. We only want one or two. Barbara is a nice dark name. Is she going to be pretty?' "'Her mother says she is. "'I don't recognize the symptoms. "'Very pretty and very clever and very high-spirited, her mother says. "'Is there a name for that?' "'I always call them whoppers,' said Miss Middleton. "'How do you like Alison Mary? "'That was my first idea.' "'Oh, I thought it was always William and Mary.' or else Victoria and Albert. I didn't say Alice and Mary, stupid. I said Alison, a Scotch name. But how perfectly sweet! Why weren't you my godfather? Would you have given me a napkin ring? Probably I will now, if you like. Then if you approve of Alison Mary, I love it. Thank you very much, and will you always call me Alison in future? "'I say,' I began, in alarm, "'I'm not giving that name to you. "'It's for my godchild.' "'Oh, no! "'Allison's are always fair.' "'You've just made that up,' I said, suspiciously. "'How do you know?' "'Sort of instinct. "'The worst of it is I believe you're right. "'Of course I am. "'That settles it. "'Now, what was your next idea?' "'Angela.' "'Angela's,' said Miss Middleton, "'are always fair. "'Why do you want all these names to yourself? "'You say everything's fair. "'Why can you only think of names beginning with A? "'Try another letter. "'Suppose you try now.' "'Miss Middleton wrinkled her brow "'and nibbled a lump of sugar. "'Dorothy,' she said at last, "'because you can call them Dolly.' There is only one. Or Dodo. And it isn't a bird. Then there's Violet. My good girl, you don't understand. Any of these common names the parents could have thought of for themselves. The fact that they have got me in at great expense, to myself, shows that they want something out of the ordinary. How can I go to them and say... After giving a vast amount of time to the question, I have decided to call your child Violet. It can't be done. Miss Middleton absently took another lump of sugar and, catching my eye, put it back again. 
"'I don't believe that you've ever been a godfather before,' she said, "'or that you know anything at all about what it is you're supposed to be going to do.' There was a knock at the door, and the lift-man came in. Miss Middleton gave a little cough of recognition. "'A letter, sir,' he said. "'Thanks.' "'And, as I was saying, Aunt Allison, I went on in a loud voice, "'you are talking rubbish.' "'Bah!' I said angrily, and I threw the letter down. "'Would you like to be left alone?' suggested Miss Middleton kindly. "'It is from the child's so-called parents, "'and their wretched offspring is to be called Violet Daisy.' "'Violet Daisy,' said Miss Middleton, solemnly, trying not to smile. "'Why stop there?' I said bitterly. "'Why not geranium and artichoke and the whole blessed garden?' "'Artichoke,' said Miss Middleton gravely, "'is a boy's name.' "'Well, I wash my hands of the whole business now. "'No napkin ring from me. "'Here have I been wasting hours and hours in thought.' and then, just when the worst of it is over, they calmly step in like this. I call it... Yes, said Miss Middleton eagerly. I call it simply... Yes. Violet Daisy, I finished with a great effort. Two. Out of the hurly-burly. Our dance, I said and it's no good pretending it isn't. Come on, said Miss Middleton. It's my favorite waltz. I expect I've said that to all my partners tonight. It's my favorite, too, but you're the first person I've told. The worst of having a dance in your own house, said Miss Middleton, after we had been once around the room in silence, is that you have to dance with everybody. "'Have you said that to all your partners, too?' "'I expect so. I must have said everything. "'Don't look so reproachfully at me. "'You are looking reproachful, aren't you?' "'I let go with one hand and felt my face. "'Yes, I said that's how I do it. "'Well, you needn't bother, because none of them thought I meant them. "'Men never do.' "'I shall have to think that over by myself,' I said, after a pause. "'There's a lot in that which the untrained observer might miss. "'Anyhow, it's not at all the sort of thing that a young girl ought to say at a dance.' "'I'm older than you think,' said Miss Middleton. "'Oh, bother, I forgot. You know how old I am. "'Perhaps you've been aging lately. I have.' This last election has added years to my life. I came here to get young again. I don't know anything about politics. Father does all the knowing in our family. He's on the right side, isn't he? I think he is. He says he is. Oh, well, he ought to know. Yes, the truth is I came here to be liked again. People and I have been saying awfully rude things to each other lately. "'Oh, why do you want to argue about politics?' "'But I don't want to. "'It's a funny thing, but nobody will believe me when I say that. "'I expect it's because you say it after you've finished arguing, instead of before.' 
Perhaps that's it. I never argue with mother. I simply tell her to do something, and she tells me afterwards why she hasn't. Really, I think Mrs. Middleton has done wonderfully well, considering. Some parents don't even tell you why they haven't. Oh, I'd recommend her anywhere, said Miss Middleton confidently. We dropped into silence again. Anyhow, it was my favorite waltz. You did say, didn't you, the first dance we had together? said Miss Middleton dreamily. "'that you preferred not to talk when you danced?' "'Didn't I say that I should prefer to do whatever you preferred?' "'That sounds like me.' "'I don't think it does a bit.' "'No, perhaps you're right. "'Besides, I remember now what I did say. "'I said that, much as I enjoyed the pleasant give and take of friendly conversation.' dearly as i loved even the irresponsible monologue or the biting repartee yet still more was i attached to the silent worship of the valse's mazy rhythm but i went on to say but i added with surprising originality every rule has an exception you are the exception may i have two dances and then we'll try one of each what did i say you said sir something tells me that we shall be great friends i like your face and i like the way your tie goes under your left ear i cannot give you all the dances on the programme because i have my mother with me to-night and you know what mothers are they notice but anything up to half a dozen distributed at such intervals that one's guardians will think it's the same dance you are heartily welcome to and if you care to take me in to supper there is i have the information straight from the stable a line in unbreakable meringues which would be well worth our attention that's what you said but what a memory i can remember more than that i can remember the actual struggle i got my meringue down on the mat both shoulders touching in one minute forty-three seconds the band died slowly down until no sound could be heard above the rustle of frocks and suddenly everybody realized that it had stopped bother said miss middleton "'That's just like a band,' I said bitterly. "'I'll tell it to go on again. It's my band. "'It will be your devoted band, if you ask it prettily enough.' Miss Middleton went away, and came back to the sound of music, looking rather pleased with herself. "'Did you give him the famous smile?' I asked. "'Yes, that one.' "'I said, would you mind playing that one again?' please and then and then you looked as if you were just going to cry and at the last moment you smiled and said hooray and he said certainly madam isn't that right i believe you're cleverer than some of us think said miss middleton a trifle anxiously i sometimes think so too however to get back to what we were saying 
I came here to recover my usual calm, and I shan't be at all calm if I'm only going to get this one dance from you. As an old friend of the family, who has broken most of the windows, I beg for another. To get back to what I was saying, I've simply got to do a lot of duty dances. Can't you take me to the zoo or the post-impressionists instead? I'd rather do both. I mean, all three. No, I mean both. Well, perhaps I would, too. You know, I think you'd be doing good. I've had a horrible week, canvassing, and standing in the streets, and shouting, and reading leaders, and arguing, and saying, my point is perfectly simple, and, and swearing, and all sorts of things. It's awfully jolly to, to feel that there's always, well, all this. And I looked round the room to come back to. Isn't that beautiful Miss Ellison I introduced you to just now part of all this? Oh, yes, it's all part, but... Miss Middleton sighed. Then that nice young man with the bald head will have to go without but I only said I'd see if I could give him one. And I have seen, haven't I? The band really stopped this time, and we found a comfortable corner. That's very jolly of you, I said, as I leant back lazily and happily. Now, let's talk about Christmas. 3. Another Milestone You're very thoughtful, said Miss Middleton. What's the matter? I am extremely unhappy, I confessed. Oh, but think of Foster and Hobbs and Woolley. I thought of Foster. I let my mind dwell upon Hobbs. It was no good. I am still rather sad, I said. Why? Doesn't anybody love you? Millions adore me fiercely. It isn't that at all. The fact is, I've just had a birthday. Oh, I am sorry. Many happy thank you. I thought it was tomorrow, Miss Middleton went on eagerly, and I'd bought a cricketing set for you, but I had to send it back to have the bales sawn in two. Or would you rather have had a bicycle? I'd rather have had nothing. I want to forget about my birthday altogether. Oh, are you as old as that? Yes, I said sadly. I am as old as that. I have passed another landmark. I'm what they call getting on. We gazed into the fire in silence for some minutes. If it's any comfort to you, said Miss Middleton timidly, to know that you don't look any older than you did last week, I'm not sure that I feel any older. Then, except for birthdays, how do you know you are older? I looked at her and saw that I could trust her. May I confess to you? I asked. But of course, she cried eagerly. I love confessions. She settled herself comfortably in her chair. Make it as horrible as you can, she begged. I picked a coal out of the fire with the tongs and lit my cigarette. 
"'I know that I'm getting old,' I said. "'I know that my innocent youth is leaving me "'because of the strange and terrible things "'which I find myself doing.' "'Ooh!' said Miss Middleton happily to herself. "'Last Monday, about three o'clock in the afternoon, "'I... no, I can't tell you this. "'It's too awful.' "'Is it very bad?' said Miss Middleton, wistfully. "'Very. I don't think you—oh, well, if you must have it, here it is. Last Monday I suddenly found myself reading carefully, and with every sign of interest, a little pamphlet on life insurance.' Miss Middleton looked at me quickly, smiled suddenly, and then became very grave. I appeared, I went on impressively, to be thinking of insuring my life. Have you done it? No, certainly not. I drew back in time. But it was a warning. It was the writing on the wall. Tell me some more, said Miss Middleton, after she had allowed this to sink in. Well, that was Monday afternoon. I told myself that in the afternoon one wasn't quite responsible, that sometimes one was only half awake. But on Tuesday morning I was horrified to discover myself, before breakfast, doing dumbbells. "'The smelling salt's quick,' said Miss Middleton, as she closed her eyes. "'Doing dumbbells. Ten lunges to the east, ten lunges to the west, ten lunges—' "'Were you reducing your figure?' "'I don't know what I was doing.' But there I found myself on the cold oilcloth lunging away, lunging and lunging, and I stopped and gazed into the fire again. "'Is that all you have to tell me?' said Miss Middleton. "'That's the worst, but there have been other little symptoms, little warning notes, which all mean the same thing. Yesterday I went into the bank to get some money. As I began to fill in the check, conscience whispered to me, "'That's the third five pounds you've had out this week.' "'Well, of all the impertinence, what did you do?' "'Made it ten pounds, of course. "'But there you are. You see what's happening. "'This morning I answered a letter by return of post. "'And did you notice what occurred only just now at tea?' "'Of course I did,' said Miss Middleton indignantly. "'You ate all the muffins.' "'No, I didn't mean that at all.' "'What I mean is that I only had three lumps of sugar in each cup. "'I actually stopped you when you were putting the fourth lump in. "'Oh, yes,' I said bitterly. "'I am getting on.' "'Miss Middleton poked the fire vigorously. "'About the lunges,' she said. "'Ten to the east, ten to the west, ten to the nor-nor-east, ten to—' "'Yes?' "'Well, I should have thought that that was just the thing to keep you young.' "'It is. That's the tragedy of it. I used to be young. Now I keep young. And I used to say, I'll insure my life some day. But now I think about doing it today. When once you stop saying some day, you're getting old, you know.' "'Some day,' said Miss Middleton, "'you must tell me all about the Crimea. "'Not now,' she went on quickly. 
because you're going to do something very silly in a moment, if I can think of it, something to convince yourself that you are still quite young. Yes, do let me. I really think it would do me good. Well, what can you do? Can I break anything? I asked, looking around the room. I really don't think you must. Mother's very silly about things like that. I'm so sorry. Father and I would love it, of course. Can I go into the kitchen and frighten the cook? Miss Middleton sighed mournfully. Isn't it a shame, she said, that mothers object to all the really nice things? Mrs. Middleton is a little difficult to please. I shall give up trying directly. What about blacking my face and calling on the vicar for a subscription? I should laugh in church on Sunday thinking of it. I always do. I lit another cigarette and smoked it thoughtfully. I have a brilliant idea, I said at last. Something really silly? Something preposterously foolish. It seems to me just now the most idiotic thing I could possibly do. Tell me, beseeched Miss Middleton, clasping her hands. I shall, I said, gurgling with laughter, ensure my life. 4. THE HERALD OF SUMMER Miss Middleton has a garden of which she is very proud. Miss Middleton's father says it belongs to him, and this idea is fostered to the extent that he is allowed to pay for the seeds and cuttings and things. He is also encouraged to order the men about. But I always think of it as Miss Middleton's garden, particularly when the afternoons are hot, and I see nothing but grimy bricks out of my window. She knows all the flowers by name, which seems to me rather remarkable. I have come, I announced, feeling that some excuse was necessary, to see the Lobretias. Don't say that they are out. I mean, of course, do say that they are out. But I don't think we have any, she said in surprise. I've never heard of them. What are they like? They're just the ordinary sort of flower that people point to and say, That's a nice Lobretia. Dash it, you've got a garden you ought to know. I am afraid, smiled Miss Middleton, that there isn't such a flower. Not yet. Perhaps somebody will invent it now they've got the name. Then I suppose I must go back to London, I said, getting up. Bother. Stay and inspect the meter pleaded Miss Middleton, or ask father for a subscription for the band. Surely you can think of some excuse for being here. I will stay, I said, sitting down again, and talk to you. Between ourselves, it is one of the reasons why I came. I thought you might like to hear all the latest news. Er, we've started strawberries in London. Miss Middleton sighed and shook her head. "'But not here,' she said. "'I was afraid not, but I thought I'd remind you in case. "'Well, after all, what are strawberries? "'Let's talk about something else. "'Do you know that this is going to be the greatest season of history? "'I've got a free pass to the Earl's Court exhibition, "'so I shall be right in the thick of it.' "'Oh, I thought last season was the great one.' 
It was spoiled by the coronation, the papers say. You remember how busy we were at the Abbey? We hadn't time for anything else. What else do the papers say? I seem to have missed them lately. I've had a thousand things to do. Well, the Sardine Defense League has just been formed. I think of putting up for it. I suppose you have to swear to do one kind action to a sardine every day. Let's both join, and then we shall probably get a lot of invitations. Do they have a tent at the Eton and Harrow match? asked Miss Middleton anxiously. I will inquire. I wonder if there is a vice-presidency vacant. I should think a vice-president of the Sardine Defense League could go anywhere. V.P.S.D.L., said Miss Middleton thoughtfully. It would look splendid. I must remember to send you a postcard tomorrow. Tea came, and I put my deck chair one rung up to meet it. It is difficult, in a horizontal position, to drink without spilling anything, and it looks so bad to go about covered with tea. This is very jolly, I said. Do you know that my view during working hours consists of two broken windows and fifty square feet of brick? It's not enough. It's not what I call a vista. On fine days I have to go outside to see whether the sun is shining. You oughtn't to want to look out of the window when you're working. You'll never be mayor. Well, it all makes me appreciate the country properly. I wish I knew more about gardens. Tell me all about yours. When are the raspberries ripe? Not till the end of June. I was afraid you'd say that. May I come down and see your garden at the end of June, one day when I'm not at Earl's Court? You can give all the gardeners holiday that day. I hate to be watched when I'm looking at flowers and things. Are you as fond of raspberries as all that? Why didn't I know? I'm not a bit mad about them, really, but they're a symbol of summer. On a sloshy day in November, as I grope my way through the fog, I say to myself, Courage, the raspberries will soon be ripe. But that means that summer is half over. The cuckoo is what I'm listening for all through November. I heard it in April this year. I looked round to see that nobody was within earshot. I haven't heard it yet, I confessed. It wasn't really so much to see the Lobretias as to hear the cuckoo that I came to have tea with you. I feel just the same about it. It's the beginning of everything. As I said to myself, Miss Middleton may not have a first-rate show of Lobretias, because possibly it is an unfavorable soil for them, or they may not fit in with the color scheme, but she does know what is essential to a proper garden, and she'll have a cuckoo. Yes, we do ourselves very well, said Miss Middleton, confidently. Well, I didn't like to say anything about it before, because I thought it might make you nervous, and so I've been talking of other things. But now that the secret is out, I may say that I am quite ready. I stopped and listened intently with my head on one side. There was an appalling silence. I don't seem to hear it. But 
"'I haven't heard it here yet,' Miss Middleton protested. "'It was in Hampshire. "'The cuckoos here are always a bit late. "'You see, our garden takes a little finding. "'It isn't so well known in... in Africa, or wherever they come from, as Hampshire.' "'Yes, but when I've come down specially to hear it—' "'Cuckoo!' said Miss Middleton suddenly, and looked very innocent. "'There, that was the nightingale, but it's the cuckoo I really want to hear. I am sorry about it. If you like, I'll listen to you while you tell me who you think ought to play for England. I can't make it more summary for you than that. Unless roses are any good?' "'No, don't bother,' I said in some disappointment. "'You've done your best. "'We can't all have cuckoos any more than we can all have Lobretias. "'I must come again in August, when one of the pioneers may have struggled here. "'Of course, in Hampshire—' "'Cuckoo!' said somebody from the apple-tree. "'There!' cried Miss Middleton. "'That's much better.' "'Now make it come from the laburnum, Lieutenant.' "'I'm not doing it, really. At least only the first time.' "'Cuckoo!' said somebody from the apple-tree again. There was no doubt about it. I let my deck-chair down a rung, and prepared to welcome the summer. "'Now,' I said, "'we're off.' End of chapter 9, part 2